Hey, what's up you guys? It's me. <laughs> okay, that was an accident. I did not mean to sound like a famous YouTuber, but I just did. So, hey guys, what's going on? It's really early right now for me, honestly. Like, I don't usually get up this early, but I needed to because today's really busy. And so I needed to get up early in order to record this podcast episode. And it's like sunshine in the window, and there's birds chirping outside, and it's like super silent in the house. It's a weird vibe, but that's okay, because today we're going to be talking about the temple. It's called the Temple of Solomon, because Solomon built the temple, or more like managed the building of the temple. But I'm actually going to be talking about the Temple of God, the only one true God. And I know that kind of may sound boring, but I've discovered that it is not as boring as it might appear at first. So I'm just going to be talking a little bit about the Temple of God. I think this one might be a little bit shorter than usual, but you know me, I tend to ramble, so that might not be the case. Um, But yeah, I hope you guys learned something new and enjoy. Okay, so it's not as early as I made it sound because I tend to get up a little bit later than I probably should. No, I don't sleep till noon, but I don't get up at 6 o'clock in the morning either. So, But that's not any of your business, okay? It's just not as early as I made it sound. It's just weird because I'm like the only person up in this house because it's a week off for us. And why am I telling you all this? It doesn't matter. Anyway, it's not as early as I made it sound. Okay, now, um, I was never very excited about the temple of God. I, I really don't know what it's supposed to be called. Just the temple. I'm just going to call it the temple, okay? Temple to the one true God. I was never really that excited about the temple. As you guys probably know, for the first several hundred years... Um, I'm not sure how many years, but a lot of time, God did not really have a place where he was supposed to reside with the the Jews necessarily. Like with Moses, he would usually meet him on like Mount Sinai or something. So he didn't really have a specific, specified place. But then um, later... They would, they made him a tabernacle, which was almost the same as the temple in regards to what was in it, what kind of um, things or traditions, not traditions, like what kind of tasks and things, I don't know the word that could fit better, uh, were like what kind of what kind of things were inside the tabernacle and the temple were pretty much exactly the same. Uh, the only difference between the temple and the tabernacle was that the tabernacle was a tent and the temple was a big, fancy, expensive building that I believe took seven years to make. Um, so, for a long time, God pretty much, his presence for the people was inside the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was. If you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, basically a big golden box. Not a big one, just like 
a box um, that had the Ten Commandment tablets that God wrote on and gave to Moses. They were in the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant was just a symbol of God's presence. So whenever the Israelites had the Ark of the Covenant, it just symbolized God's presence and power with them, basically. Um, and only the priests were allowed to handle the Ark. But they couldn't even touch the ark itself. They could only touch the rods that were in place for them to carry the ark. So that's how like holy it was that at one point, I believe, a priest touched the ark of the covenant because um, they were crossing the river and it was like falling or something. And he touched it to stable it, stabilize it, and he died, basically. I don't know if it was a priest or not, but I know, I, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, I would have looked up more details for you about this if I thought I was going to talk about it, but I didn't know I was going to talk about it till right now. So basically, um, the Ark of the Covenant, it also had, I don't know if the cherubims were added later, but a cherubim is basically an angel, and they were like golden, like not engravings, but just like almost statues, I think, that were on the cherubim, and I mean, the, sorry, the Ark I'm just confusing you now. There were two angels basically on the Ark of the Covenant and God said that he would basically meet in in the middle of those two angels. Just like basically that's where he was going to meet with um, whoever he was meeting with, um, which we'll get to who was allowed to meet with him. So God was living in this tent basically. Now God does not live in one single place. He's everywhere or he's really a dimension that we can't understand so i'm not saying that god was only in this tent it was just i think more symbol like a symbol for the people and where the presence of god was and who could meet with him in that area like that specific like dimension that we can comprehend in a kind of a way so i don't think the tabernacle was necessarily for God to reside in, but more for the people to be able to comprehend the presence of God and the fact that he was with them, but that there was certain things that, there's certain boundaries that couldn't cross in order to come to the main entrance of, I mean, presence of God. So I know this might be confusing, but just bear with me. I'm going to explain to you what the temple was actually like because I did not ever, I was not really ever interested in this, but at this point, I'm actually quite interested in it. Not only because I have an idea that I would like to do, and that is to actually make a like a little model of the temple, just because of how interesting I have found it to be, but also because there is a prophecy that the Jews today will actually be building a new temple to God soon, hopefully, um, because that's one of the promises or prophecies before the second coming of Christ. So just to think that this temple that I'm going to be telling you about right now is going to be remade um, is actually very exciting because, I don't know, it's just like so significant. Anyway, back to the history part. Almost done here. Um, King David... God greatly blessed King David. King David had a, I would assume, a palace that God gave him. And so one day King David was thinking about it and he was like, hey, why did God live in a tent? 
when I live in this huge palace, I want to build him a house. I want to build the house of God. But God did not allow David to do it because David was a man of war and lots of bloodshed. So he allowed David's son Solomon to build the temple. And so Solomon was a peaceful man and he had peace during his reign. And so he, during his reign, he did build the temple of God. And that is why it is called the Temple of Solomon. So now, let me tell you a little bit about of how this temple kind of looks. I won't give you the specific details because I'm not like a professor in this or anything. So don't like feel like I am. Honestly, the most I knew about the temple before this was um, in Exodus. They have a lot of instructions about the tabernacle. And a lot of the stuff is the same. Just the walls were basically made out of some kind of more substantial building blocks than the tent, which was just basically curtains. Um, so if you want to read exactly what all these little like furnishing pieces and everything that I'm going to be talking about right now, uh, like we're exact, exact details basically, just look in Exodus 30 through like 37. They just have a, a just a bunch of the basically sacrificial rules and uh, garments that the priests were supposed to wear and okay maybe through 40 anyway that's approximately the place if you have something that you want to look into more that's one of the areas that i think it is i'm pretty sure there are probably the same things just where solomon was building the temple um but i'm not completely sure so now getting to the point Usually when I read about this in the Bible, it wasn't all that interesting because the, the Bible explanation was very, very factual. Um, and not that that is bad, but it doesn't give the idea in like a feeling-ish kind of way. Like you can tell something, I learned this in my English. I don't remember the words. You can give something or tell something in like a very factual kind of way with no feeling to the word or the words you're using or the phrases um or you can give a slant description i think it's objective versus slant anyway this is not an english class i'm sorry that way you can give like a slant description is like when you give something or tell something with the feeling right like i could i could for example say it's the sun is shining outside right now or i could tell you it's bright and it's warm and it's nice because the sun the sun's light is shining into my room onto my bookshelf and bouncing off the walls in a kind of you understand like factual verses like using phrases words to describe a kind of vibe or feeling to it so in the bible i feel like the temple of god is given a very objective kind of way i think the word is objective i'm not completely sure but it's just given in a very factual light versus i read an essay recently and i would love 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 to read it to you 
but I do not think I have the permission to do that and I don't know what I would have to do in order to get it. So I might just, I'm just gonna tell you in my own words, basically the idea of the essay. I cannot tell you, oh, it's a short story, not an essay. But I was just very excited about that essay. Ah, short story. <laughs> and I wish I could read it to you, but I can't. So I'm just gonna tell you in my own kind of words. Um, so, here we go. Also, I never had a very good in a like vision of what the temple looked like until I went online and did research about it and someone made a smaller model of it and you could see like the inside and the outside and that just got me so excited because it was so cool and beautiful and amazing versus kind of just like the boring artifact temple I don't know what that I was thinking of in my brain I guess but when you see like the temple of the one true god in like full gold or whatever engraved and, and like beautiful it's just I don't know it gives it a different light so if you are bored by the idea of the temple you should look up some pictures just to I don't know maybe spark your interest in it or maybe just help out your imagination when it comes to it better um, and I'm not going to say that I'm going to be completely perfect regarding this description or explanation of the temple because, again, I'm not a professor. I'm just a girl who is a believer and is interested in knowing more about the heart of God and everything. So <clears throat> if you don't think I say something right, that's okay. Like, I'm not trying to be perfect here. <laughs> you can look it up and try to figure out what is actually right for yourself. Um totally cool with that. So, let's get started on that. Not, I, I know we've been talking, I've been talking for a while, but let's get started on the actual description of the temple now. Okay, so, I, I believe there were several courts of the temple. There was the actual temple and then there was surrounding land basically around the temple where certain people were allowed to come in and certain people could not go and like there were boundaries basically for every class of people and not class regarding like money or anything just by Jewish class like the Gentiles and the women and everything now I want to say now because we are under the new covenant which I'll be talking about later things are very different now um, yeah, I'm going to talk about this later, so I'm just going to explain this first. So, I believe around the temple first was a court of Gentiles. Gentiles were not Jewish, and they were not accepted into the Jewish religion um, at, this, at the time, I guess. I think there might have been exceptions at times or whatever, um, but I'm not, I don't have an example for that right now. Um, but at the time, the Gentiles were not allowed into the holy areas because they were not seen as clean. They were seen as pagan and, and outside of the holiness that basically was trying to be achieved by the Jews. So the court of the Gentiles 
And then there was the court of women. I don't think this was actually like a women's only court. It was just the the closest that the women could get to the temple. Like they only had, I think it was also called the outer court. So there was another court and there was certain people who could be in this court. And then the inner court, now this was kind of the main court around the actual temple. And I believe only the priests were allowed in this court. I, I think maybe Jewish men were allowed to come into this um, court right around the temple. But I couldn't really find the, the rules. But basically there's just another court. But this court was different. This court had some stuff in it that I gotta tell you about. Um, but I'm gonna finish reviewing what was where. So the court of the Gentiles, then within that court, a court of uh, the outer court basically, where the women were allowed to only get that close. Then the court of the priests, um, where the priests did stuff that I'll tell you about just right now. And then there's the actual temple, so it's actually the building now. And you basically come inside and there's the holy place, which is an inner area, but then you go through a curtain inside the building and there's a little room and it's called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And this is technically where God's presence was. Um, so that's the basically idea of the temple. Um, and I'm going to talk about the stuff that was in there and the t type of tasks, some of the tasks the priests had to do. Not all of them, there's a lot. So when you go into the court of the priests, right around the temple, there's an altar, uh, a brazen altar, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure what it was made out of. I feel like I should have looked up what these stuff was. this stuff was made out of. But let's just talk about the... I guess that doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to tell you basically interesting things. Okay, so there's the altar. Obviously, you probably know what the altar was for. The altar was for um, sacrificing animals on as an atonement because God had a rule and it was don't sin. And if you sin, um, you die. And so... In order for humans not to die back then, they had to still have, someone would still have to pay for the sin with death. And so they would um, offer animals as an atonement. And as you guys hopefully know, um, God never requested human sacrifices. If you want to know more about that. I'll listen to my previous episode called A Foolish Promise. I talk about how God never wanted anyone to be sacrificed um, as a human sacrifice. And he actually made a way that they can be redeemed if they have to be sacrificed. They can be redeemed with money so that they would, wouldn't have to be sacrificed. He doesn't want that. He does not love that, like that. He, that doesn't even come to his mind. He says... Um, that's evil and he does not he's not pleased in that you might have seen in like different pagan or false religions it's said that like human sacrifices are done like kids are sacrificed to what like burned alive and babies and stuff like crazy stuff like that and God does not 
He is not a god that would ever, ever want that. He loves the children. I know that sounded funny, but no, it's true. He loves the children. He loves all people. He does not want that at all. So, animals were sacrificed on this altar. Only animals. Um, but now, I'll get back to that. I'll get back to that. Okay, next was uh, a, a laver. I think that's how you say this word. But basically, it was a big bronze bowl <laughs> with water where the priests would wash their hands after um, dealing with animals and uh, doing sacrifices. And yeah, basically, they would just wash in this like reservoir. It was, yeah, I think it's reservoir. <laughs> Why can I not ever know how to say words? I don't know. Um, but let me tell you something really quick, just in case. I don't know how deep I'm supposed to go into this, okay? So the priests were the intercessors for, to, between the people and God. So the people would come to the priests and they would make their confessions and, or, their prayers and tell of basically the priests would do the sacrifices for the people and they would he would make intercession for the people between God and people um and only the priests were allowed to do this so they would listen to the people and uh basically make sacrifices on their behalf and everything and then they would wash, and the washing in the laver or the reservoir that I was just talking about was like a symbol of purification, of washing away of sin. And then there were more stuff in the court, like there were like said to be golden calf statues, but I doubt that because that's like idols, and I wouldn't think God would want that in the idol in the temple. And there were more washing stations, I think. But there was just this main reservoir that is talked about a lot. So, moving on. Into the holy place. Not the most holy place. The holy place. So, the first room, I believe, in the actual temple. There was a table on the right with showbread. So, there was... They would constantly put, like, basically bread on that table, um, which was a symbol of God's constant nourishment, physical as well as spiritual, um, and I also believe the bread of life, a symbol for the coming bread of life, or the fact that he is the bread of life, um, which is cool because at the time, I don't think the priests or the Jews really knew why they were doing certain things, but over the years, like, I can see now that that was a symbol of the bread of life, like, Jesus called himself the bread of life, he, without him, you cannot survive, you need God, whether you're a believer or not, you need it, it's like saying that you don't need to eat, you just don't really want to eat, and you don't think you need to, but in the end, you die, because your body's starving, everyone has a spiritual part of them they, everyone has a soul even if they don't believe and those who do not believe are not being fed 
and they are starving and their spiritual self is dying which will come to the ultimate death in eternity in the long run but also as a christian if you neglect your spiritual life if you neglect to to know god to through his word or through prayer or through serving um, if you neglect him in your life and decide to do what is right in your own eyes or whatever you want to, you are neglecting feeding your spiritual soul and you'll be feeding your flesh instead and that will get stronger and will win over your spiritual, which your flesh and your spiritual are always in battle every single day because your flesh wants this and your spiritual needs that. And so if you feed your flesh more than you feed your spiritual, you will end up allowing the flesh to win, which is sin. And that's not what we need to do as believers. Um, so yeah, you can starve yourself of this spiritual nourishment that God provided, the bread of life, whether you're a believer or non-believer. But whether, if you're a person, then you are hungry for this and you need to feed, you need to be fed. Allow God to feed you through his word, through prayer, through serving, through whatever he thinks is great for you. Alright, next. So when you come into the room, there is a curtain between the most holy place and the holy place. So the holy place has to the right a table with showbread. And then right across in front of the veil, I believe, or just before the veil, there is a um, altar of incense. Incense is kind of like, you guys probably know what it is because it's kind of popular to use right now. Like they even just sell it at like regular stores. Um, you just basically burn it and it has like a s sweet smell. It just basically smells. So they would have an incense altar and incense would be constantly burning, like always it was to be burning. And so it's supposed to lift up a sweet savor unto the Lord. And it is, I believe it is a symbol of the prayers of the saints or the prayers of the people basically rising up to God as a sweet savor. And it's interesting that the Bible describes prayer to be like as a sweet savor to the Lord like he is pleased by it he can't my he like delights in prayer like it is sweet to him it is good it is nice he will he likes it he enjoys it like that's something we can do for God is just to send up a, a prayer you know like that is something that he, he is pleasing to him right so and then to the left of the room there is a golden candlestick or a golden lamp stand a menorah basically so there's a candlestick and then there's seven oil lamps or in the temple of solomon i read that there was 10 but i'm not sure but there were these candlestick this candlestick and these lamps that were to be lit at all times they were to be there to shine at all times um and i read that it symbolized the presence of god but i don't think so i heard that it oh and then it's also they also said the oil in the lamps as 
symbolized God's amazing... Sorry, my handwriting was kind of messy when I wrote this. The oil in the lamps represented God's anointing in our lives. And the light symbolized the word lamp unto our feet, light unto our path. But I think that the candlestick and the lamps represented the light of the world, um, which was coming, and the fact that we are the light of the world now, um, that we are to continually shine bright all hours of the day, all hours of the night, con continuously, without stopping. We are the light of the world, and God is the light of was the light of the world then, which He still is, but now we're like ambassadors for Him. Um, I think that's what it symbolized, just the fact that God is the light of the world and he's the only thing that can rid the darkness in the world. So, I think that you can decide. I don't think the Bible truly tells us what exactly everything symbolized. I think it's something we could just, excuse me. It's something we just can look into and kind of decide on our own little studies. So, so now I've already explained to you what was in the holy place. This, this is where the priests would come in and take care of stuff, like make sure there's some bread, make sure the incense is still burning, uh, check on the lamps and the candlestick, make sure everything's still lighted. And there's this curtain made of, I don't, uh, linen? white linen and it was weaved with blue and purple i believe that's what it was but basically there's this curtain or the veil it's called the veil and it separated people from the presence of god even the priests only once a year the most high priest went into the most holy place to make an atonement for the people um, and that was a really big deal for everyone because you're like going right into the presence of God. Like, that is real, like, important. <laughs> but anyway, so now we will enter into behind the veil. So, here I'm holding the veil for you to go in. <laughs> that was dorky, but that's okay. So now we are in the most holy place. And if we were actually in the most holy place, I probably wouldn't be talking like this. But I am, so... Yeah. So in the most holy place, there is only one thing that I know of. And that is the Ark of the Covenant. Which I've already explained to you. I believe it was a cedar box overlaid with gold. All kinds of pretty um, engravements on it. And then the two angels facing each other with their wings basically like crossing in the middle and God would said this was called the mercy seat where he would be in the midst of them in the in basically and we could and the most high priest could be in the presence and he could make an atonement for um the people and on this mercy seat or in the ark of the covenant the atonement was made by like sprinkling some blood on it and like putting, yeah, basically putting blood on it in a symbolic kind of sacrifice kind of way because 
of the what it was at the time, the law and everything that needed to be done. It was not human blood. <laughs> it was still animal blood. And some of you might be like, oh, the poor animals, that's so cruel. And um, I understand what you would be saying there, but God made a rule and we break it every single day. And the wages for that is death. And so, someone had to die, and God allows the animals to die, or allowed the animals to die in the place of people, which I think is actually merciful, not cruel, which it depends on the light that you see it in, and the light you see God in. If you're going to question him, then obviously it's going to be harder to understand his mercy but if you have faith in him and understand what he's done which I'm about to tell you what he's done that things are different now um, then I feel like it will be easier for you to feel extremely blessed and loved by what God has done um, and his amazing plan and how all of these things all these little things are just gonna excuse me I have a leather chair and every time I move my feet it just makes a lot of noise so don't be weirded out by that I, we've talked about this before anyway I'm just excited about how all these little tiny details that God has shown to us just fall into place like puzzle pieces or like or like little details in a really good movie where everything just comes together and then every time you watch it again you find new things that um like go together and it's like so much fun and i'm just excited about how it's all gonna come together in the end so oh by the i already told you the ten commandments were in the ark um now I'm going to tell you the second part of this amazing story. So, you are standing in the most holy place in the presence of God. With We're saying we are in that room. And a man comes in. Um, th this man would probably ordinarily not be allowed to come in here because he's not the most high priest and it's not the correct time. Maybe it was, I don't remember. But technically, neither are we're not supposed to be in here either, so. Okay, so this man comes in, and he's not really wearing any clothes. And he's, like, bleeding everywhere. Like, he's got all kinds of strip. Like, his the skin on his back is just horrible. Like, just mangled. And then he has, like, this crown of thorns on his head and his face is just bleeding and then someone like pierced him to the side and it's it's just like there's just blood everywhere okay he's just like mangled and broken and absolutely just dying and he comes in dragging this huge cross like he's just dragging it in there and so he comes in and he he puts this cross down and he like limps over to the ark and he like wipes the blood off his own body like, he takes the blood off his own body and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat the way the priest would do it with animal blood. And he would 
he took his he took his blood instead of animal blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat as an atonement as a final and perfect sacrifice on behalf of all mankind and suddenly behind us the curtain that separated people from god was torn in half the veil was torn in half symbolizing the removal the separation of people from the presence of god and we are all no matter like you're who you are like whether you're jewish or not or whether you're a gentile or or whether you used to be a certain kind of sinner like it doesn't matter at all like if you are a person you are granted access if you if you take it if you take the salvation and the access that is granted we are granted access into the holy of holies the most holy place that not even like the priests were allowed to go into but we are we have access and i'm not saying we have access into the room <laughs> no, that's not what i'm trying to say i'm trying to say that God is no longer, he no longer has that wall between people and him because of his son who came down and became the sacrifice as God and man because he's perfect. He was able to bear literally the weight of every single sin. How is that even possible? Like that's that doesn't seem possible. But he was able to bear that and die for you and me and your best friend and my... I was going to say my dog, but my dog doesn't have sin, so... And that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but what I'm saying is everybody, everybody is given the opportunity to accept access to the Most Holy God. And that is only through his son and our high priest... Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is our intercessor now, because he gave us that sacrifice. Um, if you want to know more about what Jesus did for us, I have the entire story, basically. <laughs> I mean, the entire story, you can't really tell. It starts in Genesis 1-1, and it hasn't even finished yet. So, I just tell more of the story so you can know how to get saved. Um, in my, the gospel session, but if you want to be saved, all you have to do is ask the Lord to come into your life and ask him to save you and just believe that he did come down he died for you and you are able to have salvation through that it's that simple just lord save me that's the best prayer ever and i hope you decide to do that today so last question for you guys now that we are granted access to the most holy place through jesus christ and now that I've given you this picture of what it was like, like in the temple and how it was so like holy and only one person was allowed to actually go into that room. And now I've told you that you, through Jesus, have been given the access to the most holy place as the regular you that you are i mean I'm, I'm sure you're unique and everything i'm just saying that you're not a priest you're not like some kind of most high priest so as a regular 
person. Like, I can go into the Holy holy of Holies. I can go. And here's a question. Are you entering there? You have access. Are you going? Are you entering into the presence of God and telling Him about how you're stressed out about school? Or telling Him how your recent breakup was really hard and or whatever, like, or maybe you're not in that stage of life, maybe you're telling him that, like, I don't even know, okay, just like, are you telling him, are you coming to him, are you entering that presence, imagine if you had, like, I know this is a fantastic, like, example, (laughs) I don't know why I'm using it, imagine there was this amazing amusement park right next to your house, And you've wanted to go there so long or something. And it was just like huge. And like there's everything you ever could need or want in that amusement park. And someone gave you a free pass. And you you have this free pass. But you're always like, I'm too tired. Uh, I get bored there. Like, I have no one to go with. Like, imagine that. You have this free pass to this amazing, the most amazing amusement park ever. And I'm not saying God is an amusement park, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm just using it as an example. You have this free pass. Go. Go. for Just go, okay? You're... Yeah, just go. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect. Like, I needed to hear this because my pastor was talking about this on Sunday. This is where I got the idea about accessing God when you have the ability to and I'm I've always been kind of bad at praying you guys know this I'm I'm a speed prayer or just kind of thank you amen like I don't have the patience or the concentration to sit there and like try to appreciate being in the glory of God or the presence of God because it still feels like my room So I'm not good at it, but I'm trying to learn because I have access to the presence of God and that's my dog trying to get in the room. Uh, I should be entering in and so should you. So hopefully that just put things into a different perspective for you and hopefully that was interesting. Um, I want to really quick just go over this, how things have changed or I think, anyway, so the altar, hey stop, I'm trying to record, the altar is no longer needed because sacrifices are not needed anymore because the ultimate sacrifice was paid on the day Jesus died on the cross, so animals are no longer, or should not be sacrificed anymore, or they don't need to be as an atonement because our sins have already been paid, they don't, there's no more debt to pay. Um, as for the reservoir, we are still being purified, I think, every day. Well, our sins have already been washed away, but we should still be walking in that, washing away, asking God to wash our sins away, which he already has, but just trying to walk in that, basically stay clean. Um, the showbread, God is still our bread of life. He's still... The nourishment that we need daily. I hope you guys are seeking that in his word. In his, in the Bible. And in prayer. Um, the candlesticks. We are now the light of the world. And we are called to shine Jesus light. Everywhere we go. Everything we do. Everything we say. 
the way we act, and I know it's very hard to do, but it is our duty, honestly. It's our responsibility now that we are believers. We are the light of the world. So, yeah. Not that we are the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, but we are now ambassadors for him. I think that. In sense, we should still be allowing our prayers to rise up to the only true God in a constant fashion. Not that we should be praying all day long, all day, like every minute, but I think we should still be praying like prayers of thankfulness all the time, just glorifying Him, rejoicing in Him all the time, which I know I'm not good at, but I feel like I should learn how to do that. The veil is no longer there. We now have our intercessor, Jesus Christ, so we can enter right into the most holy place, which I've already said. And lastly, the ark. I'm not sure what to say about the ark. I like to think about where it might be now. <laughs> um, I don't know where it is. But as for the commandments and everything, we're no longer under the law. But I still think there are lots of good commandments that we should still follow because they're very good guidelines for life and how to walk in the will of the Lord, especially the Ten Commandments, which are just basically good guidelines that every Christian should be following. So I don't really have much to say about that. But now, I'm all done. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Oh, oh I knew it would be that way. I was like, this is going to be a shorter one. No, it's not. I talk a lot and have a lot of things to say. Anyway. So yeah, that's the end of this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys got to see a little better into what the temple was like and how we're so blessed to be able to go into the presence of God. Um, and yeah, this week is so busy for me. I'm, I'm glad I'm getting this out today. I'm sorry that I've been kind of sloppy lately regarding recording but I just have been I've been having a hard time deciding what to record about I feel like I've already covered a lot of the subjects that I can but that's okay I'm probably gonna keep going but I have some ideas in mind that I've already talked about um but for now you guys I have a new outro <laughs> I have a new yeah I don't know how to say that outro <laughs> and it is a bible verse called first Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. Watch, stand fast in faith, be brave, be strong, and let all that you do be done with love. Okay, you guys, see you later. Bye.